Hello, and welcome to Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer, not just for Louisiana, but for the entire northern Gulf Coast. And now, introducing your host, Alan DeRitter. Hello and welcome to your July 16th edition of Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer. I'm Coach Alan DeRitter. I am the head boys soccer coach at Dulles High School, also the director of coaching at Soccer Innovations of America and Plantation Athletic Club. We have a very good show for you today, but before we get started with it, we always start off with a prayer. And so we go, in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Dear God, I thank you for all this equipment that we have, and I thank you that our show's back on the air. And I pray that this show will be able to be a very good one and a show that will help all of the coaches in the Gulf South be able to learn something that they didn't know before and be able to make us all better. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Well, y'all, uh, you won't have a whole hour of me talking this time, okay? You're going to have uh, a great, great, great opportunity to meet one of the best coaches we have in the state of Louisiana. His name is Ryan Lazaro. He's the head coach of North Shore Boys High School um, uh, and also the director of coaching at Slido Youth Soccer Association. But more importantly, he is a member of the Region 3 Olympic Development Coaching Staff, okay? What an honor to have a Louisiana voice on basically the best region um, in our country. And uh, I caught up with him today, and he's got some reflections as to not just the ODP process, but also soccer, um, youth soccer internationally and how Louisiana fits in with all that. So without any further ado, here's the beginning of our interview with Coach Ryan Lazaro. All right, we're here with Coach Ryan Lazaro, who's got a long resume, uh, but the thing we're calling him about today is his uh, involvement in the Olympic Development Program. Good morning, Coach, or good evening, Coach. <laughs> good morning, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I hope you're doing well, too. Um, just a little synopsis, what's your recent activity with an ODP? So recently, um, I've been involved with the ODP regional team, so our goal or my goal specifically is to identify the best players in region three and take them to domestic and international trips. So, uh, every winter in December, we take them to IMG. Uh, and then in the spring we, we take them to international trips. So this past spring, uh, I took in the ODP regional team to Portugal. Uh, wow. How'd y'all do? You know, we did very well until we played Benfica, uh, Benfica's academy, which is uh, unbelievable. Uh, I've been very fortunate to, to go all around the world and, and see some of the, uh, see some phenomenal soccer. And by far, this Benfica youth team is the best I've ever seen. I've been to Spain, I've been to England and Africa. They, they, they were amazing. Well, Coach, uh, I've, I've traveled a little bit too, and like uh, you got to go to just. I mean, people just don't understand how 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 great soccer is over there in Europe, especially youth soccer. But uh, uh, how do you think we're doing uh, in the United States right now uh, compared to the youth uh, programs that you've been exposed to in Europe? You know, I think for us, it's, it's I, I, well, obviously there's quite a few variables, um, but they're very strong in their culture. They're very strong in their philosophy and style and, and how they want to play. And I think as a country here in the United States, I, th I think we lack that, 
that identity or that that confidence and say this is our a style. You know, I think unfortunately, uh, I've seen too many times across or, or excuse me within the United States. Kind of reminds me of Baskin and Robbins, right? Uh, yeah, Thirty-one yeah. flavors. You know, one now that France just won the World Cup. Now, hey, let's let's play the French way. Or, oh man, Croatia had such a phenomenal World Cup. Well, what did the Croatians do? Right. You know, you, you see a trend uh, after every major tournament. Oh, can we play like Barcelona? Can we play like Real Madrid? We need to develop our own identity here in the United States, uh, and and not just finding it what is best for our country and our culture here yeah that's that's my dream really uh if you've ever you've seen a couple of my teams play we run a, a very unique system that that uh um really nobody else does and uh and i think i think you hit the nail on the head right there because really really there's no one american way of playing and i try not to vary uh with our system and uh although you have to you know tweak it with the talent that you have but but uh, I, I really have noticed that whenever you're playing an American team, you really don't know what you're playing until the whistle blows. Whereas when I would go to Italy, I knew what I was getting uh, or playing a Brazilian team. Uh, and so hopefully in our lifetime we'll get one, huh? But um, let's go back to you now. How did you get on the regional staff? That's a tremendous accomplishment. Yeah, so I've uh, been very blessed and very fortunate. So I spent, wow, 10 years as an LSA uh, or I should say Louisiana Soccer Association state coach, and put in a lot of time. And through the years, uh, through hard work, uh, I was recognized at a regional camp by the director and said, look, we love your sessions, we love your professionalism, we have a spot, and uh, been with them since 2012, I believe. So I've been with the staff then, and then only within the last three years, have I been actually part of the regional, the actual regional team that travels to, you know, Costa Rica, Portugal, Spain, Argentina, Brazil, uh, and that's that's kind of the fun part. Uh, you know, you get to take them and see what the best is in different regions. You know, how's Region One, how's Region Four, and that's mainly through the domestic um, camps at IMG in Arizona. Uh, and then obviously the fun part in the spring is, is where do we get to go internationally? So it's, it's, it's been phenomenal, a great experience and, and really a, a great tool to identify players to, to play at another level. Now, does this interfere with your involvement with Louisiana staff? Uh, for, for ODP? Yes. Yeah, it does a little bit, uh, you know, mainly in the summer, you know, when you, when you're an ODP state coach, you have to commit to taking a team throughout the entire year and, and coach them at the regional camp. So that's where my conflict is because I'm for two weeks I'm with the regional I'm at the regional camp with the regional staff and team for those two weeks. So unfortunately, it has hindered me from taking a state team. But I still uh, work with for the state in terms of you know going out to ODP tryouts and evaluating and. Uh, helping with coaching courses. So I, I still am very active within LSA. I just am unable to be a head coach of a state team due to my obligations with the regional staff. How in the world do you do that and also be the head coach at North Shore? Uh, that's, only, <laughs> that's, that's only a few jobs. I have quite a few more that you know, are, are, are tucked away. 
you know, I'm very lucky. Most of it, you know, everybody I work with is very understanding of what I do and how I'm, in, you know, how much I'm involved in, in so many different levels from, the, you know, the New Orleans Chesters to club to high school to, you know, uh, you know, the high school program is very, very forgiving. They allow me to, to take a week off. Uh, I just got to make sure I hire great assistant coaches to, to cover me. Gotcha. And uh, it's just, it's all the stuff that um, head coaches have to do when the season's not going on that are, that it's amazing that you could do that. And are you still the director of coaching at Slido Youth Soccer, right? Yeah, correct. <laughs> okay. Are you married? Uh, actually, yeah. Uh, and just had a, uh, a baby boy, uh, two months old. Oh, enjoy that. Okay, well, your list of things to do just tripled. <laughs> How- yeah, it, it, you know, I'm very fortunate. My wife played collegiate soccer, so she, when we got together, she fully understood. <laughs> okay, good. Going into things, this is what it takes. Good. Does she coach as well? She does. She coaches the, uh, she helps us within Slidell Soccer Club and also coaches at North Shore High School on the female side. Fantastic. Well, um, being what it is in the United States, okay, we don't have our own system, okay? Uh, but you've been around now. You, you've been swimming in the deep water for for a decade at least. Uh, are we getting better? Of course. Uh, I, I, we, we definitely are getting better. I think it's a matter of we want to get there, and I think our mentality in this country is we want it now, right? We want the trophy. Yeah. We want, you know, sometimes we forget that it, it takes time. It takes sacrifice. It takes trial and error. And that's what we have to understand as a country. Uh, we are getting better. Obviously, there's things that we need to fix at all levels, all the way from uh, how professional soccer is organized in the United States, how collegiate soccer is organized. And then obviously, you know, U.S. soccer has just recently revamped its coaching education. So, it, you know, we have to continue to educate coaches in the new methodology that U.S. soccer is doing. So we're getting better. You're starting to see our youth national teams start to compete a little bit better in the youth World Cups. Um, I think, what was it, our under-17s were in India last year, did really, really well. So we're getting there. More and more Americans are signing for foreign clubs. You, you're starting to see the DA blossom a little bit. So there, there, there really is some bright future, but people have to realize it's not an overnight success. Well, my main pet peeve, as you probably well know, is that uh, I think for a country to be successful, uh, it's got to have its poor on the field. And ODP is really expensive without the financial aid that's there. Uh, can a kid make the regional team without playing ODP? Well, not no. regional team, excuse me, the um, the national team, like to play for the U-17s. Yes, yes. So, again, I think those are little things that we can fix as a country. Uh U.S. soccer wants to try very hard. That majority of the the national team players come from the D.A. However, you have states like Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and I'm sure others that do not have D.A. programs, and I think that's where ODP fills the void. Uh, You know, U.S. soccer is starting to do training centers. Uh, The the closest one is uh, in Memphis, That or I think we've had a few close by, but Carl Schmidt, who's running the, the training center out of Memphis, great guy. So we've had some players from New Orleans go up to that. So absolutely, you can still make it to to the, the next level without playing DA um, and ODP, to be honest with you. But, it, you know, again, I think as a youth player, you have to find ways 
to put yourself out there in different identification programs, whether it be U.S. club, U.S. soccer, to, to get seen. But if you're a good player, somebody is watching you somewhere, um, and there is a, a proper pipeline for that. Okay, and the, and the, and the I think to solve that problem would be uh, if a kid is not going to play ODP uh, in Louisiana, uh they would have to get well coached somehow, somewhere, and and uh, really the best coaches are coaching at the club level, and so they're kind of like in a quandary. At your club, you know, uh, Slidell. I mean, I, I'm sure y'all y'all have targeted ways to be able to get the average uh, person economically on the field, um, but as a state, I, I don't think I don't think we're doing that. But I might be wrong. What do you think? Yeah, I think that I think that uh, there are clubs like your club um, uh, that you don't have to be you don't have to come up with twenty five hundred dollars, okay, to play yeah, soccer. Correct. Yeah. All right, but there are some areas of the state where you, if you want to play at the highest level, you got to come up with twenty five hundred at least, okay. Uh, and so, so I don't know. I think I think that problem's got to be solved. Uh, how do you? Do, am I wrong? Okay, is is it a problem? I, I don't think you're wrong. I think, you know, the, obviously the cost of youth soccer is drastically going up. At Slidell Soccer, you know, people laugh at us at how much we charge. I mean, I think we're at 350 400 That's awesome. a year. Awesome. You know, I, you know, compared to, and again, not naming clubs, who it, it's $1,200 to walk in the door, you know. So, obviously it does present problems financially for us, uh, you know, in terms of having a larger staff or capital improvement, things like that. But, it is something that, uh, you know, unfortunately it's something that we need to to solve. You know, there's been projects across the United States that have attempted to make soccer free and unfortunately have failed. Uh, again, the days of, of volunteer coaches are, are far and few between at, at a higher level. You know, people do this for a living like myself. So it, it, it is a massive, massive problem that we need to solve. And, you know, Hope Solo came out just last week saying, you know, soccer is a rich white kid sport. Um, and I, I don't want to agree or disagree, but it does bring up an interesting debate, uh, as you mentioned, right? It's, yeah. I, I do not believe that you have to pay all this money to, to compete at a high level. Uh, but, uh, you know, the college showcases, the DA, ECNL, it, it, the cost is just creeping up for parents and players. And, uh, somebody, and again, unfortunately, I don't have the answer, uh, needs to fix this. Okay. Okay, well, I'm, I'm trying. And, uh, and this show is really one of my attempts to just get people to have, just so they can hear, you know, uh, we have a common voice um, to hear what the problems are because the solution's got to come from within, I think. It's no ordinary sports show. Candid conversation. We've got it all. Must have guests. Significant Louisiana sports figures. Serious knowledge. Post-game breakdowns, trivia, historical flashbacks, and my editorials. That'll make even the most diehard sports fans go wow. From the one guy who's always in the zone. It's what happens when you've been around Louisiana sports this long. The WGNO Sports Zone, Wednesdays at 10.15. All right, welcome back to this week's episode of Monday Night Football. 
we're interviewing Coach Ryan Lazaro, and we're going to get his take now in this segment as to what he thinks ought to be done with the immigrant population and how they can be an asset to U.S. soccer. To another to another topic, uh, I think one of the quick fixes uh, in soccer is in America is th- this growing immigrant population. Have y'all addressed that at Slido Youth Soccer or and in the ODP area? Um, I get kids, I get ki- I get new kids almost every semester that have just come and moved over to Louisiana from another country. Um, have y'all have y'all? It, it seems to me. Uh, the, especially the Latino community and U.S. youth soccer, I don't, I don't see it well represented. Um, do you think that's a financial thing, or what do you think is the obstacle to a Latino player making it I, better? I, I, do th- I do think it's financial. So, for example, um, you know, we just had uh, two two uh, players coming from El Salvador, and we've embraced them. You know, we we've we found out their their economic status, and we've scholarshiped them. Uh, we do the same thing at the high school level. We do whatever we can to to help afford and pay for school supplies, things like that. So we we've embraced it. Um, you, you, at least from what I see, I don't want to get in trouble here, but okay, okay, I I agree, I agree. I don't see a lot of communities embracing it because of they can't pay for things. Uh, now there are some communities. I think there's there's one out of just just south of Atlanta. I was in that that uh, a, a massive massive uh, refugee type community, and they've kind of started their own little league. And that's I think that's awesome. So uh, yeah, I think it's mixed. Uh, you know, obviously certain clubs embrace it, certain clubs don't. I, I think it you know there's certain hot spots. Uh, around the country, and I think that's great. I, I, honestly, I think we need to embrace it, and I think we need to find a way to implement uh, and identify these players, not just for higher-level soccer, but, again, we're, we're all in this sport for the same reason, and that is to grow the game in the United States. And that's, you know, using the resources we have, whether they're, you know, young American boys or they're refugees or they're, you know, immigrants coming in. It, you know, as U.S. soccer would say, one team, one nation, and that's that's yes. what we have to embrace. And uh, and they're hungry to be coached. Uh, I played a. Um uh, we have a high school seven-on-seven league here in New Orleans, and I played up um, one of the schools that is uh, basically all Latino. And you could tell, like individually, their skills are off the roof. You know that because they can dribble, they can they can juggle, they can you know when their touches on the ball are, are, are amazing, but their soccer IQ is 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 low and they don't even realize that it's low and and putting it all together in a system of play is uh, is is their main weakness and uh and if we could just get these kids coached and if we could develop coach is as well um i think that this could be a treasure chest for us soccer i really really do absolutely 100% agree okay so what do we need to do from how on from your point of view like if you're if i if you knew a kid who was 12 years old and he had some talent. What would be your advice to, to him or her as to how they can make their career take off? Well, I, I, you know, first it's it's finding that kid with that, that the talent and the hunger to want to be better, putting in putting him in the right environment and atmosphere, finding the right club that he can can grow. Right, as you mentioned earlier, finding that that good coach uh, that can help guide him. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, great players will eventually rise or talented players will eventually rise. 
Uh, again, for example, you know, you might know a kid at, at your club and you might make a phone call to me or, or the state technical director or anybody. That player will eventually get seen. But uh, for us, it's putting those players in, in the proper environment to, to succeed. Um, so... Yeah, and uh, and and it really, all of us have to be rowing together for that to happen. I, I really do agree with that. Okay, and I, and I think that's that's the biggest problem uh, with that is you know sometimes a lot of coaches and clubs get away from what the true meaning is of forming the, the club is for. You know, uh, it, it's about the players, not about money, not about numbers. You know, and and that, that's a problem that we have in this this state and country. I really believe um, I, when I was getting my national license, I, I was exposed to, uh, at that time, uh, the French philosophy that was popular, uh, the whole idea uh, that the best coaches in your club need to be coaching at the U6 level. And uh, uh, is Slido organized kind of like that? Or, or um, um, like what I've noticed, what I still notice constantly is parent coaches at the U6 level. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, so what we what we've done different, uh, obviously with the the low cost that we have in Slido compared to other clubs around us, you know that obviously I mentioned the downfalls of that financially is we don't have a very large staff, right? And, and because of we don't you know the, the cost. So what we do, we put heavy heavy emphasis on coaching education. So I'll put on seminars and, and courses and uh, specific age appropriate clinics for our coaches. And what we do is we send uh, coaches down to help those under six, under eight, uh, under 10 coaches as well. So uh, I can't get the best coaches that we have in the club down there, but we, we, we educate our coaches, I mean, monthly, weekly, biweekly. I mean, whatever we can do to, to get there. At the same time, we also get some of our older players, 18, our 16s, our 18s will go down and I'll put on clinics for them at the beginning of the year and during the winter, and they'll go down and, and help with those coaches with their sessions and making sure they're, we're guiding them in the right way of, of developing players. Yeah, uh, and I, as long as we have this uh, high tuition situation, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if we're going to get rid of – like uh, you're doing a good job of, of making sure that the kids are getting coached. Uh, I just don't understand why a lot of other people can't see that because – and it's my experience is if you teach a kid a certain skill – uh, when they're six, they don't have another bad habit to get out of, and you can actually form them. and And I find when I get a kid for the first time at, at the age of eleven, uh, it is a lot more work to do, you know. And um, it's kind of like learning how to swim. These kids, when they learn, uh, and and that's what I do in my club. It's like I coach them at the six year old level, and then I hand them off to the next set of coaches and. Uh, and I can do that with the way I'm I'm operating because I'm not trying to make a living off of this, and you know it's more of a ministry. But but I was just imagining if if you know we put our best coaches in the country developing six year olds, it would be something. I mean I I don't know if you've experienced this when you've traveled, but I've noticed that uh, the little bitty guys uh, whenever I go to England or France. Uh, uh, it's incredible watching them play, that they don't hoard on the ball, they're moving the ball around, and it's changed me personally. Uh, I had to find out how they were able to do that, and, and uh, you go down there and and you see like five or six coaches for a team. I mean, have you experienced any of that when you traveled abroad? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're, I mean for example, look at what Gareth Southgate 
Gareth Southgate uh, traveled with. I mean, he traveled with the staff of 57. Now, not all of them were coaches, but those were staff. Wow. To the <laughs> up. He's, he has a specific set-piece coach. He's got a specific striking coach. Uh, he's got his normal, you know, three or four assistants. So uh, I think you, you are seeing a trend um, with the teams having multiple coaches and, and you know, you're starting to see a lot of clubs and, and teams with specific technical trainers. Uh, again, uh, things are done so much different from country to country. And, you know, you, you leave to go, like you said, to France or Germany or Italy and, and countries like that, and you come back and you're like, oh, my God, we have so much more to, to learn and, and adapt and, and, and apply to this country. But, uh, you know, we're, we're getting there. Uh, again, it's just a matter of time. And, and finding what works best in our country. Yeah. And, uh, I guess as a 55-year-old, I'm starting to get a little antsy because I'm running out of years. And I remember saying the same things in 96 when we had the World Cup, you know. And uh, it's going to take time. But, boy, it's been taking a long time in my book. Uh, one thing I want to uh, ask you about before we go is uh, the trend I saw in this World Cup is set pieces, uh, that's what Americans like to focus on a lot. Um, do you think it's going to increase how much time we spend on set pieces in America and especially in the high school game? Or do you I, think I we'll think, stay the same? Yeah, no, I, I think if coaches can objectively look at the trends of this World Cup. Uh, in fact, I was reading the trends of, of open goals scored uh, in, in the World Cup this morning. Yeah, it's incredible. And the amount of set pieces. Um, I think if coaches can objectively look at that and, and apply and help grow their training sessions to meet the, the demands of the modern game, I think that's going to obviously make players better. But uh, I, I think set pieces has always been very big in, in this country, uh, especially in high school as well, with the fields being as small as they are. I mean, a throw-in, you can, you know, you, because the fields are only roughly, what, 52 yards wide? Yeah. Yeah, somebody can throw it into the, the opposite side of the 18. So right, uh, and and even corner kick. So yeah, I do believe there's going to be a, a bit of a, an increase in, in set pieces. But again, I think that's where coaches have to be smart and say, okay, well, here are the players that are given to me, right? And this is what fits best for my my team. And I think a lot of coaches get away with that. You know, they see Barcelona and play well. Well, great. I'm going to play a four, three, three. Well, here's the problem. You may not have the players to play four, three, three. And I think that's where a lot of coaches fail. They, they fail to identify what I truly have collectively as a group. You know, I, I love the four, three, three, but my high school team, uh, that I coach, you know, we, we played, a. uh, I think we won a few games in a three-four-two-one, or you know, one game. Yeah. You know, one year I had a team that worked best in a four-five-one. It's it, it changes, um, and that's where we're so quick to push uh, styles or systems of play with players that we don't have, and we wonder why we fail. You know, I, I think the coaches have to take blame for that. Yeah, and just like the NFL, I, I do think that uh, being that we had two teams in the finals with four fullbacks, uh, it's gonna. The trend has been to go to three fullbacks recently, and uh, 
Uh, but but the trend, I find that what you said really struck a nerve with me. Um, a lot of coaches run a formation, and they don't necessarily evaluate the players that they have in it, and they just stick to it, and, and they can't really adjust to the needs of their players. And uh, I think that's the development of a coach, you know. Um, a lot of coaches, when I have to ask them, what system are you running, they look at me with a blank face like, oh, what do you mean by that, you know. Um and I had one coach say the other day that, well, we don't run a system, we run a formation. Well, it's like, okay, that's sort of true, but but uh, what are you doing within that formation? What's the role of everybody? What are y'all trying to do when you get the ball? What do you do when you don't have the ball? You know, that's one thing, going back to the beginning of our conversation, I guess, is that as a country, we don't really have an answer to that question that's consistent. Well, and, and, and exactly. And, and to hit another aspect of our conversation, it's coaching education. Uh, you know, we have a lot of coaches that feel like, oh, I know it all. And we struggle to be humble and say, well, what can I continue to learn? I think every match, every, not even the World Cup, every match, you should be saying, okay, what can I take away from this? From a, from a personal standpoint to be a better coach, but what can I take away to help my players in this aspect? Like you said, some of the, so there was some really interesting trends throughout this World Cup. Are, were, were we, or are we smart enough to say, wow, we've identified that and it's something that we can apply as a country or as a coach with your club teams or your high school teams or whatever they might be. So, yeah, it's – coaches have to want to learn. And, and that, that I think that's another problem we have in this country. But, um, again, we're getting better uh, and we do have a lot of great coaches. Hello, this is Coach Alan DeRitter, and I want to invite all of you to take a closer look at De La Salle High School in New Orleans. De La Salle is a dynamic, inclusive community committed to academic excellence by evidence with our classrooms of the future, and of course, our commitment to athletics is second to none. Come take a look at DeLaSalleNOLA.com and schedule your spend a day today. That's DeLaSalleNOLA.com. Well, um, I, know, I know I keep saying this is my last question, but it's been so good to hear your answers. Again, if you're listening, we're talking to Coach Ron Lazaro, ODP Region 3 coach. Um, is scholastic soccer getting in the way, like collegiate and high school soccer getting in the way of player development, or is it helping? You know, there's a, there's been a huge debate, right, between high school and club and DA. Obviously, one of the rules in the DA, uh, you can't play high school. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't feel the need to step into that argument because I don't think it's right or wrong uh, in terms of if it's hindering performance. In my honest opinion, and a lot of people may disagree, I think what's really hurting us is, is collegiate soccer. Uh, you look at the restrictions, for example, uh, the average college season is what, three, three and a half months? Yes. If we're lucky, right, for teams that maybe make it into the, the tournament. And you look at all the restrictions that they can and can't do throughout the year. So let's take, for example, I don't know, any team in Europe, any country, right? So the average collegiate player is, what, 18 years old? Right. And our, our under-18 team, our 18-year-olds, our excuse me, that are playing collegiate soccer are playing competitively for only three, three and a half months, if you're lucky, right? And that obviously right. determines whether or not your team makes the NCAA tournament, et cetera. But three months of competitive soccer... Then you get a little window of, what, 20, 30 days 
in the spring compared to a, a European or a South American 18-year-old who's playing competitively 12 months out the year. Right, 12 that, months. In my opinion, <laughs> is really hindering the development, and we wonder why there's such a massive disconnect from, you know, you know, you look at other countries, like you said, France, Germany, Italy, Spain, there's a natural flow and progression from youth to professional. Our yes. players are used to training, you know, from whatever, right? Seven, eight, nine, all the way to 18, 19 years old. Then they go to college, and then they only touch the ball three months out of the year. Yeah. I agree with we you. Fail. I think we fail as a country. And, and again, we always talk about, well, what's the most important age to, to develop, right? Oh, it's the golden age, right? The, the, the 7, 8, 19, 11, 12, whatever. But there's so much to learn as a player in that transition from youth to professional. And we don't have that. We no. have college soccer. That's true. And, and there's that nothing that teaches like three, competition. That three months of the year. Yeah, and uh, and unless you're really putting it on the line, that's why I bother to play seven v seven. You can't replicate things in practice that are on the game. You can't. You can never replicate game speed on a practice uh, or a training scenario. And uh, because the competitions give you, the competitions give you, um, um, they pro- give you opportunities to have to improve or fix problems that are happening. And uh, and uh, I, I think you've really really hit a big big. Uh, um, point there when it comes to collegiately uh, if, if the NCAA would just change the rules or their seasons and uh, maybe it could change but I don't see that happening anytime soon well I, I, if I'm not mistaken I think only at division one are they going to try to implement a spring season as well which okay is it going to help sure I think it'll help to a certain degree and it needs to be done uh, but I think this is where we've we failed you know um, or are failing I should say and again uh, by no means, you know, should I be put in front of the board of the NCAA and U.S. soccer and tell them how things should be ran. But, you know, talking to other coaches around the world and, and coaches domestically and my own personal belief, that's, that hurts us, I think, uh, is playing college soccer. I'm, and I'm not saying don't, by no means, you know, I'm not saying a message where I'm telling kids don't go to college. Right. No, no. I didn't take it that way. But, but from, a, from a developmental standpoint of – trying to teach a male or female player how to, to make that jump into the, program, into the pro game. And then you look at college coaches and how the college game is played. College game is all about who's the biggest, fastest, strongest. Right. It really is. Uh, I'm at coach college, so I, I get it. I've seen it. And that's how you have to adapt. Uh, and again, college coaches' jobs are on the line. You don't win, you're fired. So you got to right. do something to get results. And is that the best way to... to to you know, do you think uh, I'll take the Barcelona player that just retired, Iniesta? Do you yeah. think he would make it in the college game? Technically, yes. <laughs> over over eighty percent of the colleges would tell him, "Sorry, you're too small. You're not you're not fast enough." Or a, a physical aspect of his game that he wouldn't make any college team. I guarantee it. Yes, I understand. And I've sent average soccer players to college just because they were big and fast. <laughs> I, I get that totally. Iniesta wouldn't have a, He might not have ever developed if he was born here. Yeah, it's a shame. <laughs> we put so much emphasis on the, the physical side, which if you look at past World Cups, we have excelled in the physical side. Distance covered in games and, and all these, these physical tests that they put the, the World Cup teams in. We've excelled in those. That's not an indication of success on a football field. Right. 
you know. So uh, it's it, interesting, interesting uh, debates here, you know. Well, Coach, I really appreciate your time and, and your great insight. And uh, even though you're really, really involved in a lot of areas, I think your career is just now about to take off. But don't forget that two-year-old, okay? Two-month-old. Absolutely. Old, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> right. Well, God bless you and your family, and uh, and thank you for being a part of Monday Night Football. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, great to speak to you, and thank you again. Yeah. All right. Take care. All right. And that was Coach Ryan Lazaro. Again, he's the head soccer coach for the boys at North Shore High School and also the director of coaching at Slido Youth Soccer Club. And I'm telling you, I, I got to see him when he was first getting started uh, about a decade ago when I was coaching ODP, and the sky's the limit with this guy. He's got his license, not only U.S. soccer, but also he's gotten some really good education from Holland. And I don't know where this guy's going to end up. I just know that his future is bright. His, uh, his accomplishments speak for themselves. Well, that's it. Next week, we're going to be looking at the national championships and see how Louisiana fares out. And we're going to come up with uh, a lot of other stuff for you on Monday Night Football. Your voice for youth soccer. This is Coach Alan DeRitter wishing you and your family the best. Carpe diem in Christ, and, and God bless you.